Welcome TTB community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the humanitarian Bob Domena. Yeah, thank you. All right, so today's guest is Emily, and she hiked the Wisconsin Ice Age National Scenic Trail, which is a 1,200-mile walk uh, from... Potawatomi State Park. I'm sure I butchered that. That sounded great. That's how I would have said it. <laughs> yeah, on the, and so it was essentially from Lake Michigan into Minnesota. She did it in the middle of winter time. And again, if you know your geography, Michigan and Minnesota are quite cold in the winter time. A so bit. yeah, she made history as the first known woman to cross the IAT during winter. Not only that, but as the first black and gay person to make the journey through the coldest months of the year. It was an incredible conversation. She got into the planning aspect, uh, to the mental fortitude that she had to have to complete the trip, to the physical aspects of the journey, to the to the relationship with the dog she brought with her. So great conversation, really cool hiking experience, and she was a great guest to have. Before we get into the conversation, the travel tip of the week is to map out your driving destinations on Google Maps before you go. And so what I mean by that is if you plan on traveling and driving specifically from one city to another city or one landmark to another landmark, obviously just put it in Google Maps and figure out how long those drives are going to take you. You can play around with the routes. You can go through tolls. You can go through you know, the scenic way, highways, whatever it is. But figure it out before you go so you can anticipate everything else. You know how much time you're going to spend in the car, um, and you know the approximate route. So if you want to be an efficient travel planner, this is kind of like 101 stuff. So definitely spend time doing that. 101. Mm-hmm. The basics. Yep. And before we get into the conversation, check out some of the stuff we offer. Support for the Traveler's Blueprint is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. God, I love that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, which is right here. This is the Lawnmower 4.0, and you did hear that right, is the 4.0. Join over 2 million men, including Bob and myself, worldwide, who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer for you, which is 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. So preparing for this, one term came to my mind, and that was nether regions. And it, it sort of set me down this wormhole of the word. I was curious, you know, as a travel podcast, as a podcast that uh, focuses on culture and geography, I was curious to know whether or not nether regions was related to the Netherlands, the country. Is, is it? So no, not really. So they, they oh, share the prefix. Right. They, they share the word nether, which refers to a region at its lowest or furthest point or part, furthest part of a place, okay. especially with the allusion to hell or the underworld. Now, removing that second part or, or not thinking about it right now, you kind of understand how the Netherlands came to be because they are at the, they're at topographically at a low point right near a, the Rhine River Basin. Mm-hmm. And now relating to the nether regions, it's a low point, I guess, of the body. And so there you go. You have some interesting information. All right. Well, um, thank you for that insight, Bob. Yeah. And, you know, we've traveled together and I've always thought I was a pretty hairy person and Amanda can vouch for me. Uh, but in our time traveling together, I've learned that you probably are hairier than I am. And what is it like with this? I mean, I know I've loved it. I mean, it's got the light. It's got the ceramic blade. It just makes things so much easier. <laughs> so, so thanks for noticing my hairiness. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, I, but I've, I've been a hairy guy for a long time since, you know, my, my teenage years. I, I grew hair pretty quickly. And since that time, I've been trying to figure out ways to keep it in check. I, I shave my chest, my back, my head, my beard, <laughs> like everywhere, you know. I, I, I like to keep it clean and Manscaped sent us this and it's perfect. It's lightweight. The charge lasts forever. The light. The light is one of my favorite aspects of this tool because I've been shaving for a long time and I've never had a light attached to the buzzer itself. So when you're shaving and you have this spotlight shining on you, you can actually see the differences in. Yeah, it makes it so much easier. It's such an incredible idea to add a light. And simple. Um, And then again, as a traveler, it's perfect. You can throw it in your bag. The, the thing itself charges and lasts for a while, but then the wireless charging port is also charged and you can then use along your trips, um, making it for a pretty extended period of time where you don't have to worry about finding an outlet, which as a traveler, we know it doesn't always come around as often as we like. 
And speaking of traveling, this has a travel lock on it, so you can actually prevent it from turning on while you're traveling, especially if you're throwing your bag around into an overhead compartment, onto a bus or That's a big. trunk. That's big, yeah. yeah. Huge, mm-hmm. huge. Yeah, because how often, I, I, I can't think of any specific items, but you, you shove some your bag in somewhere just to get it on the plane Toothbrush, or the bus. Toothbrush, old yeah, trimmers, Exactly, yeah. exactly. You hear it going, you're like, ah, yeah, exactly. So th- that seems to uh, be avoidable now with this this new 4.0, the Walmart 4.0. So again, you can get 20% off and free shipping by using code TTB at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TTB. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for your family jewels with Manscaped. Your Your balls balls will thank thank you. (laughs) Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Emily, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. We're, We're excited to have you on. You have... Quite the adventurous story that we're going to talk to you about today. You hiked about, or I guess through biked, about 1,200 miles of a trail in Wisconsin. And we're excited to learn all about your trip, how you prepared, and actually what made you do it. Because you did this in the winter of 2020, like a month ago, or two months ago. Yeah, I know. I, I've been home for a while now, so it's kind of all being but a dream of the past. (laughs) Now, have you been reflecting upon that experience and uh, are you pulling anything out of it still that you've learned? Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, you know, there's like that instant unpacking that you do when you get back from any big trip or like any adventure that you have. And then you have like the more nuanced things that might be more meaningful later on as you start to like really begin to interact with the world and like view people and stuff. So yeah. Last night, we, my partner and I, we went out for like our very first like date night since I've been back. And we went out to like a country bar that we love. And I'm just like, wow, I have not observed people in such a situation <laughs> in such a long time. It was so loud in there. It was crazy. We yeah. walked out of the bar and, and my partner is like shouting. And I was like, why are we shouting? It was so noisy in there. So there's a lot of things that are still like nuanced that are inside. That's funny. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people will have that experience as the country starts to open back up. And I, what we've seen over the past years, most people, well, I, I don't know about most people, but a lot of people sought out refuge in the wilderness to, you know, for their vacation times. And there was big influx and in going camping and glamping and biking and all those good things. So it, it'll be yeah. funny as people now have those experiences. And I think a lot of people didn't have those natural experiences they're going to go back to the modern overpopulated world and hopefully they get pulled back and they realize that they should take a break now that they were kind of forced to do so. So what's the name of this hiking trail? How did you find it? And then how did you eventually come to the idea that you thought that, you know, that you might end up actually hiking it? Yeah, it's called the ice age trail. Um, and I, I first heard about it in the summer of 2019. Um, I was out playing volleyball with a buddy and, and I, I get laid off for the winter. I'm a, I'm a gardener um, at a place called Glenshing here. I'm their head gardener. So I work um, nine months out of the year, which is awesome. I like a so teacher, much. but in the, the winter off. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is quite <laughs> all right. Um, because I work outdoors and I love working outdoors in, in the nice weather. Um, so I get laid off in the winter. I get December, January, and February off. And I knew that I could at least, I could, I knew I could crank out at least a thousand miles in three months. In two months, I was like, well, we'll give it a shot. And my buddy's like, well, have you thought about, she called it like the glacial trail or something like that. We had no idea what we were talking about. So I looked it up and uh, it was awesome because it's in the Midwest, it was nearby. Um, and I just was like, yeah, that sounds fantastic. In entirety, it's 1200 miles, um, but it is not a completed route. So when you kind of get to those roadwalks, you can choose your own adventure a little bit more okay. um, and, you know, find the path that best suits you for that day. Sometimes they'll take you on really windy backcountry roads and you're just not feeling it. You can take a highway situation, but, you know, those kind of get a little dangerous sometimes in the winter, especially with the plows. So oh, interesting. Okay. So, so it's 1200 with snow at all ever. No, I only got splashed a couple of times by, by water, but the plow guys, like we had, I think the plow guys and I like had this, like, somehow like mystical understanding of each other. Like I'm going to respect you and please don't kill me. <laughs> kind of like situation. 
That's all right. So, so you have this trail. Most of it is in the back country in the woods. Um, kind of when you, so the way, so if you look at Wisconsin, it starts, I started out East out in Sturgeon Bay okay. and from there it heads South pr- pretty close, like 60 miles, 60 miles away from uh, Illinois. It's not very far from Illinois. So you kind of do that whole okay. stretch. Then you come back up the middle. I call it the longest way across Wisconsin. You kind of hit the central region past Madison up there. Keep going further north. And you hit kind of like north central. Then you start heading west. And in that north and like northwest section, that's when it's going to become really remote. Everything else kind of in there is just like uh, you're going through towns. You're going through a lot of small towns. I wouldn't call it backcountry. I would okay. call it places where only a couple hundred people live. So it feels backcountry because nobody's there. <laughs> yeah. And, and have you ever explored that part of your home state before? So I'm in, so I'm in Minnesota. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Have okay. you, have you ever explored that part of the state, these back country towns? Essentially, I'm asking, have you had ever had experience with these towns that have several hundred people as their total population? On, only in Minnesota. We have, and I, you know, we have a lot of small towns in Minnesota, but I never experienced little towns like that in Minnesota. There, um, there are a lot of boom and bust little towns over there lots and lots where like people came over from Russia, different other parts of Europe and logged usually, Yeah, you know, and did something with forestry and like made a crap ton of money. And then they, it wasn't sustainable. And then they it just, it just died. But there are these little towns left over. So really cool. Like architecture as you go along. Cause it's like these like shamble homes that people live in and, like these beautiful, like brick buildings that like nobody lives in. I don't know why. I don't know. And then you just like really? kind of dot, you kind of like just dot along by you're like okay. And they did a bunch of farming too, those kind of old communities too. So they have a lot of cool like brick silos. I'd never seen like a handmade a brick, brick silo. silo. Yeah. So yeah, I when I used to travel the country, I would go to these small towns, and it was it's really fascinating because it's it's especially in the Midwest, you have the former industrial operations, whether it's logging or steel or, you know, whatever we were manufacturing back then, all of the, the infrastructure is still standing, barely standing in some situations, but it is a cool little blast from the past. And then to see the people that kind of lingered behind and stayed in those towns and are doing whatever they can now. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. Especially living on the East coast where um, Philadelphia is 20 minutes away. New York city's two hours away. It's quite a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, it's like a postage stamp of time it's just yeah. like yeah it's crazy but i loved it and that was kind of one of those like um i don't know if it's like a niche thing about that trail or not because i haven't done other trails like this other trails i've done have just always been like in the middle way more backcountry way more remote um and so when you're going through these small towns it's they they don't even have they don't have postal services in these small towns they like go to the bigger towns there's no some of them don't even have bars. Some of them, like, you just don't even stop in these small towns. You just keep kind of chugging on through on these roads. Um, and it's kind of like a wild experience because you're like, I'm just like walking through these like little areas. And I wonder, I've always, I always wondered like, what do these people think about this? Like a woman walking through in the middle of the winter, like this gigantic pack on her back and this crazy dog, you know, like. Yeah. Well, did the press ever get involved or was there ever sort of any? Yeah, they did. Um the one, it, it, the local press found me several times, um, a couple papers, a dude from the radio, and then people back home also mm-hmm. got involved. The, um, the Duluth News Tribune here followed me on my entire trail. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel caught me right at the beginning over in Wisconsin. So, okay. yeah. And I, I think I misspoke. I think I said that through bike, but you actually did hike. Yes. Yes, I hiked. Yeah, I, I don't know where I got the bike from, but did you did you have a sled at all? I did. I had a polk in the beginning, um, and I honestly did not know anything about this trail. And I was like, "How hilly could it possibly be?" And I was, I was very wrong. Um, hmm. There's a lot of um, glacial features that were left behind that are quite steep, and um, I just steep in all directions and so I, I just came out to be better that I didn't pull it with and all with all the road walks I made a little conversion set for my sled to turn it to have throw some wheels on it so I could pull it on the road um 
but uh, it just became more of a hassle than necessary. So How long did you? Oh, just okay. my first week. Just your first week. Wow. Yeah. So a little over a hundred miles. How, and how many miles were you averaging per day? Right, it was about seventy days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I took three zero days, so anywhere between fifteen and twenty miles a day. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's pretty great. Yeah. Did to you do prepare? the winter as well? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, that's, that's good day. if you're doing the Appalachian Trail like in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Did you prepare physically for this? Were like you working out? Were you pulling sleds and you know working those quads to get ready for it? Uh, no, <laughs> not as much. My, <laughs> That's so what cool, Bob would be doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, one should, one ought to. So, you know, if you are, I don't, I don't sit at a desk all day, right? So I have an advantage. I'm a laborer. Mm. My, my industry is I will forever be a laborer. I probably will never sit at a desk for hours upon hours until my, I will just, I'll work myself into the grave. I'll probably dig my own hole and call it good. <laughs> so, you know, like the working out aspect is that I'm fairly fit enough because of my job, my profession. I knew that road walking was going to be my biggest enemy. So I did a couple longer road walk practices before I left. I mean, other things I practices with was the dog that I borrowed um, is that we did a couple shakedown trips together just to make sure that we got along. Cause she's, she at that time was a piece of equipment and I didn't want that to not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I did not, yeah, I didn't work out anymore and the gyms were closed. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> so that's I, right. I do, I do power lift now. I'm back at the gym now. I do power lift for fun. Um, and that's just part of my weekly routine, but, uh, yeah. Two questions. Uh, one, why was road walking your enemy? Mm. It's so hard on your body, right? So when you're hiking on uneven terrain, you're using all these different muscles with every step you take. Um, and not a single muscle is getting like repetitively just like pounded on and with the pavement it's just like pounding hard surface underneath your feet same motion over and over and over again nothing is really flexing nothing's really moving you're just kind of dawdling forward um and it's really easy to get bored on road walks so if it's not the physical it's the mental okay yeah yeah i can definitely i do not like road running i much prefer running on a trail biking on a trail uh and then the second question is so Zulu was the dog's name, right? No, Zulu is my dog. Zulu well, is your dog. Yes, Zulu is a Catahoula um, mix, which means he's from the south. Um, he does not do well in the winter. I borrowed um, a dog named Diggins, and she is a black Alaskan husky. And so she was, um, and still is, because now she's mine. Spoiler alert, I own her now, um, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Um, it, I just, I knew that a sled dog was going to be a better fit for this. I've taken Zulu out winter camping before and it's just miserable. He gets so cold and tries to sleep in a sleeping bag with me and it's awful because he's too big now. So why did you bring Diggins? What was the point of him on the trip? Diggins is a female. Uh, she's named, yes, she is named after our Olympic boss of a massive beast, Jessica Diggins. She's uh, an Olympic cross-country skier from Athens, uh, Minnesota. Okay. And is still crushing it even after Olympics. So, um, I, well, you know, I, I always grew up with dogs um, and just having a companion along is just, they keep you motivated, feels less isolated. Uh, you have somebody to talk to. Um, yes. And her nature is to pull. So when I was feeling sloggy, you know, she could kind of kick me in the butt, be like, well, we got to get out of here, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. How yeah. deep was the snow in some places? Oh my God. Like two feet, like up to Ooh. my knees, like up to my knees, like right at the bottom of my quad. Because so when I ditched my sled, I also ditched my snowshoes, which I know seems like a bad idea, but I didn't really hit deep snow until after I started heading North again. Um, so it was over, you know, over 500 miles in, I didn't need my snowshoes. And then so. you ditch them. And then of course you need them. Well, I did some way at the beginning and, and you yeah. know what it's, it, I, whatever. I mean, I grew up in Minnesota. I knew what I was getting myself into. We have deep snow over here too. And I say that now, but it was painful. <laughs> like, you know, just like post tolling and having wet boots, wet socks, wet pants, wet everything, just snow kind of getting in everywhere. So. Yeah. Did you ever run into a dangerous situation due to wet socks, wet shoes, just, you know, exhaustion? There was only only once was I really 
just didn't make a good decision. I, I decided not to de-layer during the day while I was hiking. And I pretty much had all my layers on. And I, re- I sh- really should have de-layered. And I got into my camp that night and my, all of my clothes were wet. All, all the way to my outer shells were soaked, actually, because I would sweat so much. And uh, some of those clothes, I would, try to, I would try to double up for nighttime wear as well. Just my like, outer, like my puffy coat and my wind pants, because usually they weren't too wet. But I had sweat through all of them. And uh, so I had to sleep. And it was one of the coldest nights. It was like negative 23. And uh, I just, I had to pretty much sleep with any other clothes I could find that were dry. And I woke up and all of my clothes I wore the day before were like, I could stand them up. They were frozen. Oh man! And it was just, it was a dumb decision. I was just being so stubborn with myself. And I knew I should have delayered that day. And I don't know what I was thinking. Like I could squeeze my bicep and, and like water would come out of my coat pretty much as I was hiking that day. And I knew it and I was, I was being dumb. Just lazy, <laughs> I guess just, you know, I never made that mistake again though, for the rest of the trip. <laughs> well, th- that begs the question now, did you ever do laundry on this trip or did you have your set supplies and never, never re well, I guess you had to resupply for food, but did you use the same, I guess, equipment and clothing? I did do laundry folks when i stayed in folks's homes it, they were super kind um and they let me do laundry in their place but in my resupply boxes um i gave myself like new undergarments new socks um but i wore the same pants and pretty much my outfit never really changed especially since i could wash them but i did have backups if needed socks are the main thing that i like needed to make sure i had clean ones up because dirty socks get cold very fast yeah it's primarily wool Oh yes, just wool. Yeah, wool's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now that we kind of have the the physical aspect of it, what was it like from a mental perspective? What were you thinking? Were there any hardships? Was there any sense of sense of enlightenment? Just, I mean, bring us through your your mental experience, your emotional experience. Yeah, for sure. This is and this is where I think Diggins really comes into play the most of just like I I, I liken her to um, Wilson from um, Castaway. I was going to yeah. say that when you were explaining who uh, she was, like how, what she was to you, I was going to say she was kind of like your Wilson. Yes, she was very much like my Wilson. And that's knowing that, you know, she can't talk back. She can't understand fully. You know, she, she has more emotions than a volleyball. Thank goodness, you know, and more, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she does have blood running through her veins. So that's good. And a brain. So um there were, it was, uh, I made the decision and this is one of the reasons why I like solo backpacking too. And I just made the decision, like the hard thoughts that came across my mind that like things I needed to deal with things that like I needed to tackle, like just in my own life, in my own heart and just like forgiveness, like working through like all that gnarly stuff that we do as humans. Like I decided to like tackle on a lot of those things, like head on on this trip. And I knew I wanted to do that. Um, and I did. So we would just, I would just like talk it out, like talk through it with Diggins and be like, here's the situation, here's what happened and all that stuff. And then, um, so that was one aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of just like, again, the mental game of like, it's winter, you're cold. You're rarely really ever happy because the sun's not always out all that often. If the sun is out, it's cold, you know, because the, the insulation layer of the sun of the clouds go away. So you're kind of dealing with that. And then when you hit deep snow and start to just move, like on, at a, at a glacial place pace, like it, you know, my averaging could be like two and a half to three miles an hour on a, you know, on a flat or like with good snow packed down. But like when I got into like two foot deep snow is like a half a mile an hour, pretty much. And that was like the mental game of like, I just want to get out of here so bad, but I can't get my body to move any faster. And that was tough for me to be like my, I am my, I am my own limitation. And that's really kind of, that's kind of like what backpacking and solo backpacking is all about. Like you are your own worst enemy. You are your own hero. You are your own limitation. You are your own accessibility. Like there's nobody else to, there's nobody else out there. Nobody's going to come lift me in. You know what I mean? This isn't, you know. There's no savior. No, no. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, a few things with that. One, I, I love the talking through your issues. I, I try to do that. And I think that's what most people should do, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you have things lingering in the back of their mind that are just kind of eating away at you, uh, I think they'll most likely continue to eat away at you until you finally sit down and confront them and just sort of think them through 
write it out, do whatever you can. Um, but in the situation you were in, Emily, where you're alone with a dog, you're in the wilderness, you can't be distracted by the millions of things people sitting in their home can be distracted with. You're really kind of forced to deal with it. Um, it's a great opportunity to do that. And I'm glad to hear that you took advantage of it. And I mean, and yeah. you can totally distract yourself out in the, whatever you I, I still think that you have to make a, a an effort to really want to deal with yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think you'll be able to hike as far if you don't do it yeah well I think Bob and I had a conversation early on when we started the podcast with Florence Williams and I don't know if you know the book The Nature Face and she essentially talks about how being in nature maybe five hours a month gives you that that respite from all the daily life, but like actually being physically in nature between the smells, the, the feelings, the sights, it actually lowers your cortisol levels and reduces your stress enough so that it lasts about a month. And you get those benefits, you have actually reduced risk of heart attack, your stress levels are generally lower and you're more calm. And I think people don't appreciate that enough and she actually put the science behind it did like all those uh mobile ekgs or uh, not ekgs whatever they were ecg ecg study of brain waves it was just so cool and you've done this a few times but i think people don't do this enough and don't see the benefit enough and you're you're probably familiar with this but people that do these long through hikes they get back and they get like the post trail blues mm-hmm. because they've had this you know long time to reflect upon themselves, actually think and appreciate nature, but also have some solitude. And then they get done and they're like, "Well, now what am I looking towards? Like I just did this awesome thing and it's over and now I'm sad." Yeah, but oh, it's yeah. not. It's not just like a, I'm sad for myself. It's like an actual chemical yes. sadness. Cool. Yeah, it's uh-huh. like postpartum depression. It is, and you can't. There's no quick fix to it, yeah. really at all. Yeah. yeah, especially since you are there's because there's no substitute for hiking eight hours a day. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's no because I agree with what Florence is saying. I mean, I'm sure she's extremely brilliant, and I can just I'm the lay person who's practicing what she's talking about. You know, she's the scientist. <laughs> you know, I'm just practicing what she's talking about. Um, and but there's just no. There's no substitute really for that much chemical stimulation. And you kind of just have to like slowly work your way back into like just getting outside as much as you can, yeah, you know, like weaning off of it. Yes. But, yeah. And it's the type of chemical stimulation too, right? Because chemical stimulation, I feel like, you know, that's, that's, everybody has to deal with that, but there's something about going and doing these hikes and you're kind of in control of your own, your, your own time. You're managing your time you have to think through every minute and then you come back from that experience and you're thrown back into your job and your responsibilities. And now your time is being sectioned off and being pulled in different directions and you have mm-hmm. to deal with that. And so uh, take those breaks and to kind of pull your time and make it your own and enjoy it and really deeply appreciate it is so important to be, yeah. I think, happy. I think, I think it's just a practice of being present yes. also. Mm-hmm. Um, which I just don't think we, I mean, we don't, uh, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not shitting on anybody like for not being present. It's hard to be present in the way we live now. And, you know, it, you yeah. really have to be mindful to be able to do it. And honestly, out off the trail, I'm really bad at it. And I think that's why I love getting out and backpacking. Cause I, I, I'm really bad at practicing the things I want to practice in my, in my day to day. And it forces you, it forces you to be present. Yeah. I, yeah, it's great. I, I really, I'm taking two sides of the social media. I think social media is great in that it gets us to connect with people that we don't get to connect with often. It's how we found Emily here. <laughs> it's how we found Emily. Yeah. It is how we found Emily. And I, the, the other side of it is social media can almost become an addiction. And it's been shown that it can be addictive. And people are, you know, if you're, if you're at a table on a date, with someone else, just someone else, and they go to the bathroom, typically the first thing that it happens is you take your phone out and you just flip through notifications, you flip the articles, you go to Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, mm-hmm. 
and there's no there is no time to be present anymore because people have these other attractions yeah. or distractions mm-hmm. that they can do whatever they want and they're not thinking they're not looking around and not being in the moment as we once were before this mobile digital age yeah and it comes back to what we were saying i think it was before the show about uh people watching and just living in those moments and enjoying the vibe associated with being around other human beings being you know doing fun things and eating and talking and just kind of enjoying and being present in sort of this this bubble of just being human uh, you know and having that social monkey structure that we've (laughs) come to know and love yeah there was a there was a there was a an elementary kid. I stopped at a couple of elementary schools on my trip and I, I like left. It was just an open question answer situation. And this kid's like, do you ever get bored while you're hiking? And I was like, all the time, like totally all the time. I get bored <laughs> walking for eight hours a day. <laughs> of course I get bored, but it's so good to be bored. It is. You know? Yeah. And like, we just don't, we don't, we don't do it. I don't, I certainly don't do it in my normal life. And we we should because like from boredom like create like creativity really flows from boredom. Absolutely, that is, I think boredom looks is looked on so negatively, and it is such a good thing. It, it's something bad that we need to be that teaches us to do good things. Like think about like how creative you were when you like I don't know how you, old you guys are. I'm 28, so I was born in the 90s, and like boredom was like the pinnacle yeah it was like it was like the pinnacle of us getting into trouble like you yeah. know building forts and like playing basketball like all these different things like boredom stem from or thing so many cool things stem from our parents being like please get out of the house and do yeah. anything but be here think about think about the long distance drive with your family where you were stuck in the back seat and you had to look out the window at the cars and just think and that's sort of extinct i mean I, my daughter that is better be prepared to look out that window. But like <laughs> people don't, you don't see it. It's just so, it's just less common. Um, and then, and going back to the, what, what the boy said to you, you know, do you ever get bored? Most people look at a hike and they automatically think of the physical challenges associated with it, but it's not a hike like yours has an equally important mental challenge yes. and overcoming boredom and being alone and thinking through all these things is part of that challenge that you ultimately get to overcome once you complete the hike. Um, have you ever heard of David Goggins? No. Are you familiar with David Goggins? He's like, he's this, you know, super tough ultra marathon runner. He's run like 248 mile marathons, crazy stuff. But part of it, he says like 80% of it is mental. And one of his little like quips is callous your mind. Yes. And, and I, and I always love that, like saying callous your mind, because it is so important to, you, you need to have a hard, hardened mind to achieve the physical aspect. Right. Well, I need to go in with the right mentality. David got. I know Bob loves David Goggins. I think he brings him up almost every other episode. But <laughs> no, I don't. I haven't brought him up in a almost. while. Almost. Him and Tim Ferriss. Uh, <laughs> I do love Tim Ferriss. But David Goggins' backstory was that he was he was really out of shape, and he used he used exercise as a way to get back into shape. But then found that exercise made him a better person in all yes. aspects, and then used that mental ability to improve. Yes, absolutely. Well, and that's, that's, that's the exact, that's exactly right. And I think that a lot of people quit a things in general, but b long hikes because the mental gets them before the physical, because our bodies, our bodies will, if you are generally, no, you can even have whatever to say, it doesn't matter how your body is. Um, your body will adapt to your situation for however your body is shaped and however your body is wired. Mm-hmm. And it'll just do it the more you work it, right? But your brain gives you the option, <laughs> to, <laughs> gives you the option to tap out any second. Hey, I know your brain's yeah. like, oh man, I'm doing this a thousand mile hike over seven weeks or 10 weeks. And you're a weekend, your brain's like, this is hard. And your oh, body's your like, I'm good, I'm good. Your brain will come up with every excuse possible for you to give up. Like it'll just come up. Yeah. Anything it can. Um, Yes. Well, we had, so I think what you just said, Emily, is really important. We had a conversation with uh, the Scottish woman who is, how old is Alice? 57? Yeah, 57. Mm -hmm. So she was doing all of these extreme marathons, hikes, bikes at, in her 50s. And 
she even said like it is not a it is not a physical challenge as much as it's mental absolutely yeah and and it's and it it doesn't even matter oh man it doesn't matter how many you've done <laughs> yeah it does i feel like that that mental challenge will always just always be there yeah. so which, which one did you just let out oh both of them well wh which one was the last one was that diggins or zulu that was zulu that was zulu okay yeah yeah diggins was giving me the signal she's still learning about how to be a house dog <laughs> so we, she's giving me a signal that she needs to go outside so i like to I like to listen to what she's saying. Yes, it's always <laughs> yes. good to listen to your dog when you have to go to the bathroom. Well, it's so funny because Zulu is, um, he's always been very good at being, this is also really gross, but she's in heat right now. So we're also working through that, which is disgusting. But it's a house full of women. So, <laughs> so sorry, everybody, for that image. Um, Zulu has always had a really good bladder and i've always i think i've abused his good bladder and now i have a normal dog that has a normal bladder she needs to go outside a normal amount and i'm like god you need to go outside so much <laughs> yeah i understand that our i have a puppy now and i don't know if you could hear her throughout most of the conversation earlier but she is she needs to go out like every hour and a half yeah and it is exhausting I'm like yeah. just we're outside yes and and I have a grown dog as well that goes out like once in the morning and maybe once over lunch and then once in the evening. Yep. And that's it. I'm like, yep. That's normal. <laughs> More like her. <laughs> Your other dog will get there. And I'm sure Dickens will get there too. She's actually an incredible house dog for being a sled dog first. If you've ever spent time um at other sled kennels, um they're not made to be in inside at all. You know, they spend their whole life outside. They spend their whole life outside. They fight yeah. for, they have a pecking order. They're like, you know, they're an animal. They don't know where to go to the bathroom. They don't know not to eat things. They don't know whatever. So, but she's- Yeah, I, I went to Colorado and I did a dog sledding trip and we went to the place to get the dogs in the sled, of course. And there was just dozens of these huskies all sleeping outside, curled up in little balls in the snow. Oh, yeah. Happy as can be. And when we talked to the trainer, he said that they, they, this is their life. Like they need to pull the sled. This is what they look forward to. And I'm going to say, he said like six miles a day they run um, at least. Yeah. It was, it was incredibly, um, uh, very, very impressive. The dogs were beautiful. It was so much fun. Yeah. It was impressive. Six miles. Yeah. I mean, I, I take him and I, my wife take our dogs on trail runs every once in a while. Our older dog on trail runs. And she can do like six or seven, but more than that is a little too much for her. Oh, that's crazy to hear. I feel, I feel like both Zulu and Diggins could go for miles and miles and miles and miles. And this is this is such a good. I like this. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop onto this little bandwagon right. because for folks listening, not all dogs are meant to do trail work, and it can be very harmful to your pet if you take the wrong breed or the wrong type of dog on a trip. I, I specifically chose Diggins because she, this is her job. This is what she does when she, she does race. She's a racer. And so like she runs, you know, 30, 40 miles a day when she's racing. So it's not that big of a deal. Like she's with a team. This is what she does. And like, I choose it, chose her very specifically. Zulu, my other dog, I've taken on other trips, but his breed is extremely fit. Um, they are, they're, they are bred for hunting large animals. They are, he is mostly a muscle mass and I knew he could handle it. So like just not all animals, not all dogs are trail dogs. And I think that kind of gets goofed up because people are like, I'm going to bring my French insert bulldog. bad breed here <laughs> on this long trip. And I'm like, Oh, that's really not good for that dog. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Well, and I, that is good to know. Cause I think like we specifically chose our dogs. We have two golden doodles and I think they get really hot in the summers. I think they would do much better in, uh, both of them are winter dogs yes. by far. And in the summers we have to either take them out in the morning on runs or in the late evenings when it's cooler and they can't be outside for more than like 20 minutes or 30 minutes in the high heat because yeah. they just get dehydrated and then start panning almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yes, super stoked now because I have I have a winter dog <laughs> for adventures and I have a summer dog for adventures, which is super awesome. That, that is. <laughs> so, 
So yeah. I have a question. So your taste for hiking, like this wasn't your first really long through hike. Your first one was the Superior Hiking Trail, which was about 300 miles, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is the longest I've ever done. But I moved to Duluth. Oh, gosh. Let's see. I graduated from college in, in this winter of 2014. So I've been up here since 20, 2014, winter of. Um, and like, I knew, I knew when I moved here, like I wanted to get into backpacking. I think my first trip solo was like, I don't know, 30 miles over the course of, of like four days or something like that. Like it was less than 10 miles a day. Like my pack was super heavy and all this junk. Like just, I just had the worst stuff in my backpack. I had like glass jars. I had like a full cutlery set. I had like a gigantic pot. I had a three person tent. Like I had all this stuff. Just for you. Yeah, oh, just for me. <laughs> and I didn't even have a dog with me at that point. And um, it was miserable, but I loved it. Um, and so I just kind of kept adding on miles and miles. And then I went, you know, from 300 to 1,000, but whatever. <laughs> Gotta pick a jump sometime, I guess. Yeah. I mean, at so, that point, it's just like you're, the days are the same. It's just how long you're doing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so this, this next question, not necessarily even, I think, for this trip, but because you've spent so much time in nature, do you have, have you actually had any meaningful or awesome experiences with the nature itself, whether it's the, the vegetation or animals, anything like that? Right. One of the things that's super awesome about spending so much time, and this is, you know, this is the difference between a weekend warrior backpacker, a week-long backpacker, and then like a long-distance thru-hiker is that when you're long distance through hiking, you really begin to understand the rhythm of animals outside of humans, right? So one thing that you, well, that I began to understand is like, there's a distinct difference between the sounds of day animals and the distinct sounds of night animals. And there's a time of day where they cross over and switch. And then the opposite again in the morning when they switch. And there's like distinct patterns of like where mice travel, because in the snow you can see um, rodent patterns. And that was amazing to see. Um, you begin to understand how deer bed down together, like in the Shawamigan forest, which is in the North, there's these huge communities of deer beds. And it's just these piles of pretty much leaves where they dig out the snow and they cut there. They must be like large dogs when they lay down because they're exactly how you think a dog would dig itself a little kind of divot in the snow. Mm. And it's just a whole like, you know, acres and acres of this in the forest. And it's just, it's just moments like that where you're like, I am, one of the things that really hit me the most as I traveled was like, I am, I can tell my evolution is outside of what I'm experiencing now. You know, even though I, you know, whatever you believe about evolution, I suppose, um, I'm understanding that like I have evolved away from the wilderness and I can mm -hmm. tell, I can feel that disconnect that I'm a visitor in all these environments. You know, mm -hmm. I understand that I don't have sharp teeth. I don't have claws. I can't run that fast. I, my muscles have limitations, you know, all these different things. My, my brain will block me from killing something outright. Um, unlike an animal, if it feels in danger and, and things like that. And so, you know, I need tools to defend myself. I need these things to defend myself. And so just like walking through these territories of like different predators, I didn't see any predators aside from a, like raptors. So like birds. Mm -hmm. um, but even though I didn't see them, you know, you could follow their tracks and you could, you know, Diggins, her ears would just like be going crazy. If we were, if we were hiking at nighttime, she was so aware of like different predators that were probably watching us walk by. And it was that moment of being like, thank you for letting me be a visitor in your area. Like I understand. That, yeah. This is like, I, I don't own this land. I'm just, I just need to walk through real quick. So it was a lot of rhythms learning just those rhythms of those, of other animals. And then just like yeah. listening, listening for it. There's a lot of sounds. I know people think that winter is very quiet, but nature is so loud. They never stop talking. I swear. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> so the, the, the one thing that I, I want to bring up again though, is, you know, I get the disconnect that you felt with nature, especially seeing it and realizing that, you know, we've, we've obviously evolved you know out of it 
But then the fact that it was so gratifying to you to be in nature, to me, was you being sort of pulled back in, like, this is where you came from. This is where I came from. So you're not, we're not completely disconnected because if we were, it wouldn't be so beneficial, wouldn't be so meaningful of an experience. It's, it, I always, it's like you just, uh, whenever I'm backpacking, especially, it's just like, I know that me being out there, it's just, it's right. It's what mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing. It's where I'm supposed to be. I can tell that I come from ancestors that like really had respect for this land and like these animals and how we, you know, grew together with some of these animals and everything like that. And I, I, it's part of the reason why I like bringing a dog with me, honestly, because it just like, yeah, everything just kind of meshes together. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense. <laughs> it's very like pure feeling. Yeah. Yes. I, I have a question on like Wisconsin in the winters. If it's anything like Pennsylvania in the winters, we have very short actual light hours, mm. and it's not it's not quite like Northern Canada where it's dark all the time. But what were the actual like sunrise sunset? Were you hiking like half in the day, half at night, or was it still primarily mostly the day? Mostly the day I would, and that was another cool part, right? So I hiked through two different seasons. I hiked through winter. And then started hiking in before spring. Um, um, but I was hiking definitely into what we would call spring like. And when I started, the sun would be set pretty much by 4.30 p.m. Um, and then when I finished, the sun would be done setting by 7. So, like, I really saw 7, 6.30, 6.30. Like I saw that two hour change of like, I gained that many more hours of light. And that was like the most remarkable thing in the world. Um, and I could, I could, I could just sense, like I would want to hike more, I'd want to hike longer. And then, but I also really liked being in camp in the daylight, not having to use my headlamp to like see everything. So yeah, it was, it was really crazy. I was I was 30 years old, so like maybe a month ago or two months ago is when I learned that there the period of the solstice, sorry, the equinoxes, so spring and fall is when the days increase the fastest, like daylight, and it's like 10 to 12 minutes a day of extra light. Uh, so six minutes on either end is when the sun sets, and then when you get closer to the solstices is when the days decrease in how much they add light that makes sense yeah that's amazing because uh, i always thought it was constant between the, the solstices but it's not right it's really cool yeah yeah we well, kind of because we kind of go water. around we kind of go around the sun in ellipses yeah so it's a it's a it's well, a goofy well, shape and with the tilt of tilt. the earth's axis it's it's so cool we have i mean that's what gives us our seasons at least in the and when we get above like the 30 degree latitude, we have actual seasons because of the difference in how much yeah. light reaches the earth. Yeah. It's awesome. I love, I love the earth. I love geography. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. I agree. So I guess shifting away from the earth, geography, nature, I'm curious about the people. I, I know that you spent time sleeping with people. People brought you into their homes. Well, I slept in their houses. I never slept with them. Yeah. That's a good clarification. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That's a different connotation. So, so do you do you mind just telling us about some of those experiences? Yeah. Well, and this was this was the remarkable part is just like so many people hopped on this weird bandwagon, which I did not plan for. So like the way I planned my food and my shelter and everything was like, I was never going to ever see anybody ever again in my entire life. Um, and it was really cool to actually see people. And um, I was really thankful that they let me stay with them. In some situations, um, there was just nowhere for me to stay. So even though in my itinerary, I, um, I had places set, uh, I was silly. And I, real- I should have realized that campgrounds were going to be closed and they wouldn't even allow me. I called several. I'm like, I can't even just like sneak onto your property. They're like, no, we legally can't have you here because our water shut off. And so I would, if I couldn't find a spot like dashed in the woods, I would like scroll through my Instagram and see if anybody connected with me from the, like through the County I was in. And I'd be like, do you mind picking me up somewhere? Like, can I sleep in your yard? Can I stay in your house? And when it got really cold, I mean, these people were awesome. They like shuttled me pretty much to my, to the next day where I would hike and then they'd pick me up and. Um, That's great. It was, That's it was, really great. 
it was really fun to like and then see the ways that different families hung out with each other because you know a um you know the you know covid had been around for a while so hanging out with other people's families that you don't know strangers were a strange thing to encounter i suppose because we hadn't really done it in a long time but it was so awesome because it's something that i missed you know um kind of seeing their habits and seeing their homes and um questions they asked and how they interacted and just like they were just really sweet people and i really appreciated it yeah it totally added a bit of a complexity that whole situation because being being a stranger in someone else's home was odd to begin with and then having COVID on top of it like i walking down the street now i just feel like i cross the street if someone's walking towards me i think that's weird personally but (laughs) because here's the thing and a lot of people might dump on me for this because i'm not a i'm not a covid conspiracy person but i do there is definitely a mental diff there's a difference in your mentality right when you're just trying to stay alive and not be freezing cold all the time and there's this trust you kind of have to have with people when they're like and you ask them like have you do you think you have covid blah 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 and you know if the people who you're talking with talk about covid as if it's a an actual thing i feel i felt like i could trust them when what they're saying i encounter people that were like covid doesn't exist i'd be like well okay um, <laughs> you probably have it <laughs> you know and it's just like but when you're cold and you're hungry and you don't have the luxuries of normal life right so this is kind of maybe going a different way it's like it's like a privilege thing like us in our homes we have the privilege to stay in our homes and like be happy and healthy and whatever when you're like out and about either experiencing homelessness or pretending to be homeless because you're backpacking (laughs) you know like it's a different mentality at that point and you're kind of just trying to survive and so I did I risked it I risked it with a lot of families and I was like thank you for feeding me thank you for letting me wash my clothes like and just kind of having that gratitude of like I'm trusting you to not put me in harm's way in any shape or form. And as far as I know, I did not get COVID my entire trip. So yeah, those are, you, you made a lot of really good points that I don't really want to get into just because they're they're They would be a tangent and unrelated to the podcast, but um, yeah, I think it's important to consider other people's uh, um, you know, whatever they have going on in their life, their situation prior to determining whether or not they, I don't know. Their their opinions on COVID. It's it's kind of a weird privilege to be worried about COVID because it assumes a lot of other things are already in place. That's all. And and that's the cool thing about backpacking, right? Like, it gives you just perspective. It gives you perspective on other people because you meet you meet. I met some very strange people on my trip, as you do when you're through hiking. If you're seeing people. Um, but it gives you perspective on humans. It gives you, gives you perspective on the wilderness. It gives you perspective on just so many different things. And so I'm really thankful for that. It gives you perspective on yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's probably the most important thing. Um, do you have any future hikes planned? Are you going to do the AT or the, uh, the, the, the continental Divide trail, anything in the, in the future? I don't have the time to do the longer, the big long hikes. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of my, of my profession. Mm-hmm. And, Have you thought and, about splitting them up? Oh man, I don't know if I could do that. I guess I could, I guess I could sit. I don't know if, if I were to do it, I would want to just like do the whole thing, I think. Yeah. So mm-hmm. for now, my, my plan is just to do kind of trails that are kind of unsung heroes that people don't really know about. Uh-huh. Um, I do have the Oregon desert trail in my sights. I don't think I'll be doing it this winter. Um, I have, a, I want to kind of do some of the trails that I've already done up here closer to Canada and I want to do those in the winter um, and kind of tie them all together because they're really short trails. So I think I'm going to kind of sneak onto those ones, but yeah, kind of like anything's, anything's, anything's possible, you know, and you know, one day when I can take time off from work or whatever, I will totally try to hit up all the big three. Uh, but for, yeah. there's so many other little trails that people don't know about, you know? Yeah. So. That's cool. Yeah. So well, where can people follow you? I'm sorry. Well, the, but I, I want to go this route first. Okay, go. Let's go your route. What a, because what a turn. In CNN Traveler had done an interview with you, and they had talked to you about you know being a person of color outdoors, being in the LGBT community, and being a female. And even you said you check a lot of boxes. <laughs> and what people have reached out to you saying different things. What has been the response from different groups? 
I think people are just really excited. You know, they're, you know, growing up for myself personally, right? Um, I just never, the only other person I really saw like doing like athletic things was probably my dad. He's a long distance biker and he was a cyclist. And other than that, I didn't really see anybody else like me doing stuff, especially outdoors. And I'm just like, I've heard from, you know, parents, a lot of parents in hopes that their kids kind of see this and catch on to this and, you know, giving hope to people just to, you know, not be afraid while being outside. Um, Cause it's so, it's such a weird, I think I, I said this on, uh, I think maybe Cripes cast with, with, with Charlie Barron's. And it's always an awkward thing where people are like, oh, it's so cool to see you out here. And I'm like, I know what they mean. Like, it's cool to see like a black person outside. And I'm like, <laughs> do you say in my mind? I'm like, do you say that to your white friends? Like, oh, it's so cool to see you out here. Like, that's so weird. Well, there's you know? some, there is a stereotype that that black people in general don't like the outdoors or don't camp. Uh, yeah, but whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, but that, I don't think that warrants you to to point it out and be like no i don't think it does either but I, and i don't know i don't know how true that stereotype is there's a lot of there's a lot of fear for a lot of people of color right because um historically you know a lot of people were murdered and taken from their homes in the dark and you know the wilderness wasn't quite a refuge it was more of like people were forced to be outside because we have been laborers forever and it wasn't labor that we chose and so the outdoors was either um, a punishment place or a place where you were being taken away from um, and being forced to do something you didn't want to. And I think that's just been set, that's been passed down, you know, to us through our ancestors and through stories and everything like that. And some people really still carry that weight in their hearts. However, more people are getting out. More people of color are getting outside. Um, and I think that I'm hoping brands. <laughs> like I'm hoping that they will continue to show people of color through their branding. Cause that's really what's making will be helpful. Mm-hmm. You know, is that growing up, like I didn't see any brands really um, show people of color outdoors. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, you know, like we're saying with social media, right. It's a tool and, and, you know, promoting stuff is a tool. It's, it's a job. It's a tool, right. There's people who do that for a living. Um, and I think that's where we find the most comfort. Right. Like think about like think about cigarettes back in the day. Like so many people smoke cigarettes because it looked cool. It was a cool thing to do. You saw all these people smoking cigarettes. And so therefore you did it. And the people you saw on the screens were white people smoking cigarettes. Right. A bunch of white people smoke cigarettes. And and, you know, if we see people who look like us doing something that looks cool, which backpacking, I think is cool. Very cool. A lot more people will want to do it. A lot more people of color want to do it. It makes you feel safer that there's. You know, people on screens, there's people on billboards in magazines that look like you who are doing the thing that looks cool. So I think that we're starting to see the pendulum switch, you know, go the opposite direction. And I'm hoping that the outdoors stays safe and it stays a sacred space enough for people to where that won't be abused. That's really what I'm hoping for is that as more people get outside, it won't be abused because A, the outdoors is not for us to own, right? And B, the outdoors is for everybody. And I still believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think well your said. your experience, your publicity with this has really empowered a lot of black women, black individuals, LGBTQ, and just women in general. Because any of those any of those boxes that you said you've ticked are great for everyone. Like it, it's nice to see that you're like you said, it's nice to see yourself represented. And we've talked about that with many other people on this podcast. And if you get a yeah. chance, look up Jeanette Sehad, Jet Set with Jeanette. And she really focuses on um, getting people, getting people of color, getting underrepresented people represented in the travel industry and just in general. Yeah, yeah. she was, we had a whole conversation on it. And it really does come back down to representation. Um, people will gravitate towards things that they can see themselves doing. And yeah, it, yeah, and, and relate to, and yeah, we we've actually had a few podcasts on that now. Yeah, yeah it really the, goes the, such a long way. I think the same thing goes for like I think a lot of people don't think that black people are farmers. There's so many black mm. people who are farmers, <laughs> and they're really good at it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's, yeah. it, like you're saying, it's just getting it's just getting the word out there, and and it, yeah. yeah, we got we we got to help. The whole thing is like you got to help each other, man. Like yeah, yeah. You got, we got to do it together. Yeah. 
<laughs> I, I, I do think we are. I do. I, I, I mean, you know, it's hard to sort of get the big picture because everybody sort of lives in their own reality. But in our reality and with, with what we've been doing with this podcast, we've now talked to people. We've had these conversations a bunch of times. And it makes me feel better seeing the industry shift in that direction. There are travel pages dedicated to black travelers and we've had, um, you know, women couples on the podcast. And so I, I, it makes me feel good seeing it be more inclusive uh, because it's, it's more fun that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Bob and I fully recognize that, I mean, we wanted to do this podcast way back in the day and it, it took us maybe a few a few months or so to realize that, yeah, we were two white guys doing a travel podcast and wanted to be more representative. And while we didn't choose to be two white guys, uh, we understand the privilege that we've had growing up in this country. And we're trying to share your story and other stories of underrepresented people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited for the day where I can stop being an underrepresented person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's going to be an awesome day. I, I was talking to... Um, James Mills, who does Joy Trip Project, and we're like, man, one day it's just going to be so normal that it's not going to be that exciting when a black woman does yes. it in the winter. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. like right. that right. day is going to be super awesome. And you know what, though, like I'm patient for it. it it's not going to happen overnight. And like, it's cool to be part of, you know, be a little drop in the ocean for this movement moving forward. And it just takes just the stories and just doing the thing and not being afraid and being a little crazy sometimes and just kind of getting out there, you know? Yeah. yeah. So where can people follow you uh, yeah. for your, your journeys? Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram at Emily on trail. And uh, right now you'll be seeing a lot of pictures of flowers. Cause I am a gardener and pictures of my dogs, <laughs> but soon we will be back on the trail and it'll be awesome. Wait for the snow to start flying. We'll be there. <laughs> We're looking forward to it. Uh, before we let you go though, we have the rapid fire question round. Oh, excellent. Yes, we didn't tell you about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Ten questions. So, ten questions, um, and then we'll round out the podcast. Elliot, do you want me to take it first, or do you yep. want to go first? All right. Uh, Emily, what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Outside. What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? Um, my bed. That has to be the most answered. Uh, if you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? <laughs> uh if as long as it doesn't kill me that non-newtonian fluid oh yeah that stuff that's made of like cornstarch and water i feel like it would kill you first though because it would probably suck you in or snorkel yeah maybe we can try <laughs> uh all right where are we what travel book had the biggest influence in your life i'm a terrible reader <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there is one. Sorry. Okay. What about okay. movies? Social media? Um, what is I uh there's one book there's one book that has always that's has sparked me recently. It's a very small, nobody knows about it. It's by a lady named Lori Shepherd. It's one of my childhood best friends' moms. She went in the wilderness in a little town called Jacobson and hand built her house. Uh, with the logs pretty much around her home and she still lives there till this day with her husband and she um talk about perseverance if you read that book um i can't remember what it's called actually at this at this moment but um yeah laurie shepherd um it's it's crazy she went through so many hardships to get that house she actually like lived in a little tent outside of her house while she was trying to build it and it was like raining it was cold and everything so it was awesome wow i could see how you would Yes. She's a very uh, cool lady. Yeah. Uh, say hello in your favorite language. I don't know any other language. <laughs> uh, I, I did. I did take German when I was in, uh, in high school. So hello. Guten Tag. There you go. Elliot knows German. I know a little bit of German. I would say I know it. Uh, if you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would you choose? Oh, probably like... I would love to travel with like Julie Andrews. Oh, nice. Like Mary Poppins. Really fun. Just like hanging out with Mary Poppins and just yeah. like <laughs> all day long. I feel like she would be, I feel like it'd be real classy for some reason. It'd just be songs all the time. Singing you songs as you walk the trail. I'd be A-OK -okay <laughs> with that. Her voice is fantastic. <laughs> uh, 
what is one item remaining on your bucket list? Antarctica. I want to get to Antarctica mm. so bad. Me too. Yeah, don't know. I do too. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard to get there. Like, I'm I mean, the, it's I'm easy. On you it. just have to pay a lot, or you yes, can do like so the, yeah. the postal service six month stays. Anyway, yeah. uh, if you could pick an actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? Oh, I don't even know. I don't know. Probably somebody that played somebody uh, that lived in Wakanda for sure. Just some like uh, crazy warrior of some sort. If not just an average looking person, if it's not, if it's not going to be someone like super cool, just someone ultra average. <laughs> um, oh, who is the, it was the girl who's in Walking Dead. <sighs> oh, she was awesome. Ramon or something was her name or yeah, she was, she was awesome. Oh, who, I mean, in a, who's it? Issa Rae. I mean, Issa and I don't really have much in common. I don't think, I don't know, but she's, she made insecure if you guys know who she is, but I think, her eyebrows are so expressive, which runs in my family. I get a lot of comments on the on the above the eye. We do a lot with our eyebrows in our family, and she's <laughs> so expressive. And I okay. think that if she wasn't playing me, she'd play my sister for sure. All right. <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right, I think it's uh, it's me, right? Uh, yeah. If you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? I mean, I do love I do love Minneapolis, Minnesota. I know that's kind of cliche because it's my it's my hometown, but there's a lot going on, and I love it here. From totally what understandable. I, from what I understand of Minneapolis is that it's like the new biking capital of the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not surprising, but that's amazing. Yeah. Even in the winter, people get the big fat tires. Lots of people do bike, yes. That's cool. I've, I've never been to Minneapolis. I've always wanted to check it out. It's a good place to be. And last question. What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago? Let's see. I'm 28 now, so I'd be 18. Oh my gosh. I was just going to call you. You're gay. It's okay. <laughs> I wasn't out yet. <laughs> go to college, go play rugby and, and realize you're just like all those girls on your rugby team. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Great advice. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So funny. All right, Emily, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast to talk about your trip. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. So now I'm curious what other trails there are in the United States that we don't know about that are like, you know, more long distance. We Everybody knows about the Great Divide and the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific mm -hmm. Crest Trail, but I never heard of this trail I until I saw the article on Emily. Yeah. There is one trail I was talking with someone recently called the Long Trail. Are you, are you familiar with that? No. So have you heard of Long Trail Brewery in yes. Vermont? Yeah. Yes. So it's named after that. And I forget how long it is, but it's it's not as long as the AT, but it's still a multi-day trek that you have to do maybe over the course of like two or three weeks. Um, hmm. But yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of trails throughout the U.S. that you could probably do some overnight, maybe even a few weeks. Yeah, there has to be, especially as you go into the Midwest and towards the West Coast. There has to be tons of them. Yeah. And I think this conversation was really interesting, especially near the end of it when we talk about the accomplishment of it. And mm -hmm. we, we've had many people on the show. We've had many guests. We've had travel around tables discussing, you know, culture and minority representation in travel. And Emily's point is really accurate. Like eventually it would be great to not even have to mention the fact that she was the first woman, first gay person or first black person to do this during winter. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. We are. We are. All right. Uh, thank you for tuning into the podcast please take a second to consider uh, giving us a rating on iTunes, whatever you think we deserve. If you want to support us in a financial way, you can donate as little as $1 a month through Patreon, and it goes to all aspects of producing this show. Uh, whatever you decide to do, we still love you. Thank you for being fans of the Travelers Boyfriend Podcast.